Abram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nullcast. Bud, this will be one of the kind of mini episodes that we've become fond of doing. Got a lot of listener questions um, that we couldn't necessarily get in the previous podcast. So we'll be putting this second podcast out for you, the listener. Uh, as always, all of our sponsors uh, play a huge role in uh, making the Nullcast possible. This will be a short episode, so we'll just go ahead and acknowledge them off the top. Uh, Madison Social, obviously, with us since day one, Louisiana Hot Sauce. I mean, it's really just incredible that a team-specific podcast has had a national food sponsor for five years. Amazing. Uh, and we're ever so fortunate. Tarpon Sellers, great people, great wine. Give them a look. Congruity. Those who make the Bud Elliott real estate empire possible, uh, legendary home loan and the legendary team of, Chan- of Shannon and Chad. 844-FSU loan. Awesome, man. Uh, so yeah, let, let's let's jump back into this a little bit shorter episode, but I didn't want to do something that was well over an hour last time. Figure keep you all you know, a little fresh Friday content for the weekend. Who do you want to take first? Maybe Brian's, I guess. Yeah, we'll we'll start it off with Brian. Uh, Brian's a, a Patreon supporter of ours, and uh, he writes in previous episodes. You've talked about how Florida State getting to a six and six record would show that the program is headed in the right direction and would have benefits on the recruiting trail. My question is all six and six records created equal in the eyes of recruits. For example, would a six and six record with wins over Miami and Florida late in the season create enough positive momentum to overcome a disappointing three and three start to the season? What about a five and one start, but a one and five finish would love your thoughts on if it matters to recruits when the wins happen and when the losses happens are who the wins and losses are against. I think you can argue this both ways. Is there a side you want to take so we can debate each other? Um, I would say, uh, and I don't, you know, I don't know that the, that this is necessarily where we would disagree or necessarily a side that you're wanting me to jump onto. I would say that with the, with the introduction of the early signing period, it's not quite as important uh, because you don't have that extra two months or three months for a really disappointing season to sit there and brew. I mean, as long as you can keep it from, from really running off the tracks, you can get most of these kids signed uh, in December, but yeah, I mean, it, it matters, but ultimately don't have a wildly disappointing season. And I think this class takes care of itself. So I think that in general, recruits are more willing to forgive upset losses in exchange for upset wins, right? Like, let's say FSU were to lose to Syracuse. And that'd be pretty embarrassing. Syracuse is probably not likely to be a very good team this year. But they were to pull a big upset, you know, of equal magnitude. Like, you're about as likely to beat Miami as you are to lose to Syracuse, right? Or UNC or somebody like that. If you beat a Miami or UNC, but you lose to Cuse, in our mind, like that's not a good trade-off. You know, like that's that's losing a game you absolutely probably shouldn't be losing here. Uh, But in the mind of a recruit, I think they care more, you know, about about the skins on the wall, so to speak, right? And those are are ones you can point to, like, look, we yeah, we slipped up against Syracuse, young team, blah 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 blah. I think you can tell that more. I also think that it is more important to start fast than it is to end strong, primarily because like a lot of the recruiting is going to be done in September and October. And over that final month, 
yeah, there's some visits going on, but it's not often that all of a sudden you make a huge late charge for a kid over final month, you know, just based on, on your team turning it around in that final month. I think if you, uh, if you start strong and then you fade, let's say they do go five and one to start one and five to finish extremely possible. That's within the range of potential outcomes. You can just sell it pretty easily as, Hey, Look, man, we need a lot more depth. That's why we're recruiting as hard as we are. We, our depth got exposed. We had to play some of these guys, just quite frankly, and we love them. They're a member of our family, but they're just not there yet as far as being able to help us. It's kind of the way you sell it. You've had a kid locked in since basically Halloween. Is he really going to care that, that you went 0-4 in November? Probably not that much. He's ready to sign. So I think starting fast probably matters more, especially if you're a, a program that has had a lot of summer momentum. Uh, if FSU does is able to start fast with with the summer, summer momentum they have built up, I think they can get the ball across the finish line, even if they do kind of crater down the stretch, which is possible. Yeah, and you've got a real friendly early schedule, so you've got to take advantage of that for for very many reasons. But it it sets up well for Florida State, and you know, you know like we said, hopefully um, you need to you need to make hay in the first five or six games of this schedule and uh, try to stack up as many wins as possible. Exactly right. All right. So not so much a question here, just kind of an aggregate. We had uh, Twitter mentions, emails, uh, questions galore surrounding the subject matter of Marvin Jones Jr. And uh, we'll just kind of bring him into the discussion here. Obviously, some nice social media activity from those uh, in his family surrounding the visit. Kid appeared to enjoy himself. Let me pose this, bud, uh, and I'll throw this out to you. And I'll tell you that as of about three weeks ago, I felt I had a pretty good reading and kind of finger on the pulse of this recruitment, at least from people close to Florida State. And their opinion was, obviously, they're going to recruit this kid all the way to the end. They're going to do everything possible. It's very rare that you get a kid that's one of the best 30 players in the country and is Father was one of the better college football players ever uh, at, at Florida State. Uh, his uncle was a, a very good player. His uh, cousin was a, a very good player in his own right, at least according to expectations coming out of high school. But the people that I talked to at Florida State three weeks, four weeks ago were more or less, you know, at the last three or four years have been the last three or four years. And we just kind of, it may be a little bit of a bridge too far to convince this type of kid to come to Florida State when we've put up the record that we have, when we've had as much coaching transition as we have, uh, and ultimately a guy that's exceptionally valued by kind of the Alabama and Georgias of the world. So I realize I'm kind of putting you in a position there to <laughs> either say that, yes, that's accurate still, or, oh, no, Florida State's going to sign this guy, and that's not what I'm trying to do. But it may be what you're trying to do. I mean, like, it's... it's <laughs> well... <laughs> I think, you know, you're gonna, you've got a kid here who, who seems to have a lot of respect for the university and his, his family does too. And sometimes, sometimes whether it be in sales or anything else, the second best answer to yes is no. And if you can get a real clear idea as to what's going on and if you're a real contender for this kid, great. And if you're not, uh, it'd be better to find out earlier than not. But, you know, Florida State seems to have put themselves... Uh, you know, maybe a little bit more confident in where they run with them than they were a couple of weeks ago. So, okay, this is an interesting question um, that you just posed. This is not, I've, I've talked a lot about on this show about how there are some kids sort of in that 200 to 500 range that the very best recruiting schools this year, you know, might have to turn down because they don't have space for them. 
be it because they have too many co- like super seniors coming back with COVID extra year or because they are going too heavily on transfers or whatever. Marvin Jones Jr. is not that. Like he's, you know, legitimate five-star caliber player. Um, if they're going to win this recruitment, they have to go out and they have to beat Alabama and Ohio State and everybody else on the recruiting trail. Alabama under Nick Saban has had more first-round picks than losses. That's kind of an insane stat if you think about it. Jones could be a tremendous edge rusher for FSU this year. I know guys on this staff who thinks he's going to be their best player, by the way. Like the second he steps on campus, you're saying? or No, like he's already on campus. Jo- no, excuse me, not, not Marvin. Uh, no, excuse me, I, I said Jones. Johnson, the, the defensive end from Jordan. Right. Excuse me. Right. Like they could do an awesome job with him this year. He could have 12 sacks or something crazy in, in today's day and age when guys don't have you know, quite as many sacks as they used to. He could end up going, you know, fringe first round or something crazy, which I don't think is going to happen, but it, it, who knows? Even then, Nick Saban could sit back or Ohio State can sit back and say, the Bosas, Chase Young, all of these guys in very recent memory who we've developed, look at all these playoff appearances, look at all these national title rings. And if you're FSU, you have to, there's a lot of stuff you have to do to land Jones. You have to, Keep making the right impression on them. You have to keep kind of imparting that that idea that they're they're really building something in Tallahassee. Uh, that you can't build the expectations up too high for this year, obviously, because as I've told you guys before, give this coaching staff the truth here, and they take six and six right now. I think you have to really articulate a plan for him. You have to hope that jo- that Johnson this year kind of shows what that plan looks like. Some, and you have to honestly hope that the guy is somebody who has the mentality of wanting to be a leader and wanting to blaze his own path. If he's somebody who's just solely focused on go to the NFL, then I'm not going to put in a pick for FSU. That's not because FSU can't get him to the NFL. I think Papetris actually has done a really good job building that relationship, as has Coach Norvell. I know that's somebody he's recruiting personally. Realistically, like I just said, more first-round picks than losses is hard to compete against. When, When those programs, especially Bama, want a kid, they very rarely lose. Like last year, they basically, they probably got their first choice at over half the kids they signed were like their first choice for the position. I think FSU's got a legitimate chance with, with Jones Jr. because they've had him on campus multiple times. They're going to get him on campus more times. They're building that relationship. He's a Florida kid. They, they obviously impressed his mom. His dad is one of the best players in the history of the program. But they're going to let him make his own choice. And it's just going to depend on, on, on what he wants to do. He can get to the end. Like, it's crazy to think you can't get to the NFL from Florida State. You clearly can. And I mean, almost certainly will, pretty much regardless of where you go. That's not an easy battle for them. Like, that's not one of those ones like, yeah, you know, things break their way. It's like, no, they got to go out and fight and earn that thing. And they need the breaks to be able to land Marvin Jones Jr., in my opinion. Is that fair? It's. Yeah, I think it's really fair. I mean, and I'm not trying to move goalposts or anything else, but uh, I, I just feel you're a little bit unlucky with time. I mean, even if if Jones Jr. is a, a year younger and, uh, you know, you're trying to recruit him and, and Lamont Green uh, Jr. at the same time, I think you'd have a, a hell of a lot better chance with showing a little bit of uh, of a change. And I just think you're, you know, you've been dealt a bad hand if, if you're Mike Norvell and staff and you're trying to recruit 
one of the best 25 kids in the country right now. So, um, you know, it'd be fascinating to see what happens. Obviously somebody that, uh, you know, you couldn't help or couldn't uh, want for more from a legacy perspective. You know, if you don't get this kid, certainly won't be lack of effort or anything else. And and if you told me that you could keep Nigel Lee Kelly and, and keep the, the green kid committed for next year, I'd, I'd jump at it in a heartbeat uh, and, and wish Jones the best of luck uh, as he, you know, probably plays football in Tuscaloosa for three or four years. Yeah. I mean, I, I could certainly look if you can, if you told me you can get Nigel Lee Kelly right now, Kelly's a really, really good prospect. I just don't think you can ever stop recruiting Jones Jr. because of the connection. Like it just, even if you really didn't think you were going to get him PR wise, that's just not a good look, you know? Um, but I, I, I get what you're saying there. I, I, I totally understand that. So Terry has an interesting one. We actually got a couple questions about this and I think we meant to answer them in the last show. Not like the one we just dropped yesterday, but the, the show prior, uh, he asked, following the 12-team playoff announcement, which technically, guys, it's not been approved yet, but I think everybody knows it's going to come in 2023. How much more likely is Notre Dame to join the ACC? Have you seen some of the takes on this? Because I'm really strongly disagreeing with a lot of these takes that uh, I'm curious. What, what, what is your opinion on this? We, we, we may actually be disagreeing. I don't even know it. Oh, they vary pretty highly. I mean, I um, I don't see... Notre Dame necessarily boxed in in a place where they have to join a conference right now, uh, as as it stands. I, I know you can look back in the in history and point to to places where uh, they would have been hard done uh, using what we think the the model will be moving forward. That's just one of those things that I'm going to have to see before I believe. Uh, to be honest with you, I mean they, they've got such a great TV deal. There's such a kind of a culture of not wanting to attach yourself to a conference at that school. They want to recruit nationally too. That's the thing. And with, with their schedule, they can recruit all over the country. Yeah. They don't want to label themselves to, to a, a geographic area. You're absolutely right. They don't see themselves uh, as that, you know, they see themselves as a, as a, as a national brand. Uh, and they, they very much are. So uh, does it maybe slightly increase the chance? Yeah. Uh, perhaps, but, that's going to be a hell of a hill to climb uh, to get Notre Dame to permanently move into a conference. So I think um, that it decreases the chance they go to the ACC. And here's why. I think Notre Dame AD Jack Swarbrick played this thing like a fiddle, right? He kept Notre Dame as a nationally relevant brand. Now, they cannot earn a bye week. They cannot be a top four seed because they're not a playoff champion. Tell me the year when Notre Dame goes, let's say, 11-1 or 10-2 and two or better, that it's not in the top 12. Can you find me a recent year? Because I, I haven't looked, but I'm guessing there ain't one. Like, find me a year where Notre Dame was 10-2 and two or better and was not top 12 in the playoff standings, enter, entering the selection there's no time. And the way they schedule, I, I don't see Right, that but like, they can go 10-2. No. and two. They recruit very well. They develop extremely well. Brian Kelly's a hell of a coach. And under the current format, if they're the five seed, guess what? They get to host a playoff game against the worst team, the 12 seed, at home. They get to host a playoff game, whereas the teams who are number one through four have to go play in some NFL stadium, which is just kind of like antiseptic feeling and, and horrendous and, and basically only being played in the NFL stadium 
as as a nod to the bowl games, which greased these athletic directors for so long with, you know, if you read Dan Wetzel's book, uh, Death to the BCS, he, he profiles how like the Fiesta Bowl was giving these guys, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of dollars to go on these vacations. And that's back when the ADs weren't paid very well. So it was really quite influential. And surprise, surprise, they sided with the guys who were greasing all the time. Somehow the bowls still managed to wrangle their way into this, which is crazy. I can't imagine that lasting forever. So maybe I'll walk this back if all of a sudden, like the better teams can also get home games. But right now, I think Notre Dame is the team that is most that is set up to play the most home playoff games out of any team in the country over the next decade. Because they're like they, we know they cannot earn a bye. Nobody who earns a bye can play a home playoff game. If you're the Irish, you get an extra home game. That's an extra couple million bucks. And those will be uh particularly with the kind of quote unquote watering down of the regular season, those will be the best atmosphere. That that'll be the best game of the year. Uh, the, those home, those home initial playoff games will be incredible to be at, and will be a absolute, uh, you know, money printing machine for the for the schools to get to host them. So, uh, let's see. Kelly chimes in. Uh, Kelly, longtime supporter of the Nolcast, a couple of years ago in the buy or sell segment, I asked you guys to answer the question of buy or sell. The top fifty or so teams splitting off into a different division that pays players renegotiates TV deals and have different rules than the current D1 setup within 10 years. Ingram said buy, Bud said sell. Let's revisit this. Buy or sell the same question, but within the next eight football seasons. I'm, I'll go first. I'm going to sell. I think that with this playoff format, now I think you could have a scenario in which there is some consolidation of teams at the lower level. Like, could the CUSA and and uh, and Sunbelt merge? I guess that's possible, right? Like there may be some teams that just want to drop out and no longer play FBS football and support it at that level. You know, if some of the NIL stuff or, or, or some of the, uh, you know, pay-to-play stuff comes to fruition. But I don't think we're going to see the huge split off right now, especially not with the way that the playoff money is going to be distributed. And ultimately, that I think that's a good thing for the sport that we have more teams stay at the FBS level. And I understand the argument that they're kind of playing a different sport and and they are, but you don't want them to become, you can't help if they're irrelevant in practice, but you don't want them to become officially irrelevant by literally dropping down another division. I will claim victory on this by the fact that the NIL has been introduced. And so that's one of the main things that I was looking at two years ago has occurred uh, but no, I'll, I'll sell this. I mean, I, I think with the NIL being introduced, uh, the playoffs being tweaked, I don't see a real landscape changer in college football um, within the next maybe 12 or 15 years. Uh, some TV deals that are out there from a conference perspective could change. I, I think we could maybe be in for another round of conference realignment in a couple of years. Uh, but I don't think that you'll see a, you know, uh, complete power five split off or anything else like that for the foreseeable future. I, I think that's fair. All right. Um, so Nick asks, I've got a little quick rankings question. I have a successful season. We probably need to have some young players step up. My question is for both of you to make two rankings. The first ranking is, what are the top five positions you're hoping to see a breakout player in? The second ranking is, 
what are the top five positions that have the most potential for breakout players? Hmm. Okay. I'm having a little trouble in my head conceptualizing like the difference between these two lists. So Nick, if you don't like our answer to this or if we didn't do it right, just please let us know. So the first one he wants to know, and listeners follow along at home if you can, what are the top five positions you're hoping to see a breakout player in? So like this is kind of just what we're hoping. And then the, the other one we're, we're, we're doing here is like the top five positions that we think are most likely to have a breakout player. Yeah, let's, let's slightly reshape it to what are, you know, what are a couple of positions that Florida State would benefit the most from having a breakout player in? And then the second one is uh, the potential for, for said breakout to happen. So, okay, I, I like that. I mean, everybody would love a breakout wide receiver, definitely. I mean, to have somebody emerge as a true one would be a very nice thing. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and I, I think, so what if we just said, like, I like that, but then let's also kind of evaluate maybe uh, um, the likelihood of having a breakout player there. I honestly think if you have a breakout wide receiver, it's going to be a freshman, perhaps a freshman from IMG. Uh, although I do like the Ooh, go Malik, uh, okay. the, the kid out of South Carolina a good bit, but I'd uh, maybe maybe Helton in year two. I mean, it it does take some kids, uh, you know, a good eighteen twenty months to recover that, and and certainly you know Helton puts in the work necessary. Uh, so I would I would hope it for that kid, but I think if you have a a breakout player at wide receiver, it's probably a true freshman. That's probably I think that's fair. Um, there are some guys at, at that position, especially in, in the young guy ranks, who I think are either unproven enough or unproven and have the talent enough that I could see it potentially happening. You know, at, at a running back, and maybe this will be thrown back in my face, I just, I don't see it. I don't see like a you know, guy who I think has serious NFL talent in, in the running back room right now. Um, so I'm going to say no there, no to tight end. Do you see anybody breaking out at the offensive line? Like, what, what does that look like? Is that Robert Scott taking the next step? Is it Darius Washington bouncing back and finally having a healthy season where he looks like a, you know, maybe a guy who gets some all conference votes or, or be an above average player or something? I mean, does hope spring eternal with Dante Lucas? I mean, the fact that he has a season to where he's he's uh, still on campus, like that. I think that's a positive sign. He's uh has has access to the equipment and you know protein and everything else that's necessary. That that would be certainly optimistic, but that would be a name that I would throw out at that position if if you were to perhaps see a player. By the way, we just got some uh, some Twitter questions about this. Uh, Quayshon Sapp uh, tweeted out his final four, uh, and he will be committing on July third. Mm, okay, so you got a couple prospects on your board. That's the same day the. Uh, Texas tight end is committing, I believe. Yep, and Quayshon is is also officially visiting uh, this weekend. So, um, the top four are Georgia, Cincinnati, Florida, and FSU. I have to assume he's a take for Cincinnati. I don't know if he's a take for Georgia. I don't know. I don't want to overreach and say that I'm pretty sure UF would take him. I, I but uh, I know they've actually been recruiting him decently hard. So maybe they maybe they would. Um, this is a weird thing to say, but FSU's in a pretty good spot for guards. You know, that's just, that's Alex Atkins doing work. I think FSU's in a pretty good spot here. But Florida has done a nice job recruiting him as well. Uh, they're also obviously in a good spot with, with Kanaya Charlton, who some people look, think is a, a better prospect. Okay, let, let's get back to, to some of these other positions. On, on defense, 
which one, like which spot clearly has, has a, a thing where you think has real breakout potential? Like they could take this thing to another level realistically. Wherever Travis J is playing. Ooh, I like that. If you've got a kid that I think is absolutely has the potential to explode, uh, had some, you know, look, these kids just have, you know, issues and challenges in life, right? And, and maybe he's able to fully focus on football. And I don't, whenever we talk about that, it sounds like I'm knocking the kid or anything else. No, I mean, they have family members, they have stuff that lingers from high school, whatever. I think, I think the world of Jay, and I think if it clicks, it could click real big and it'll be real obvious real quickly. I, I that's that's pretty fair. I I don't see the athleticism at linebacker necessarily to believe that there can be a real breakout. I mean, a breakout to me at linebacker is just guys kind of being in the right spots and you're generally making a couple plays, you know, uh, and not being terrible. I don't want to assume that Johnson's going to be a breakout, like and, and overlook the fact that he could be a breakout. But what does a breakout at defensive end look like in your mind? Is that Johnson actually being as good as some people think he'll be, plus who who else at the at the other spot? Is it is it Quayshon Fuller finally doing something? It, w- w- what does that look like to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, I'm not sure either of us have heard a whole lot of news from the Fuller or the Griffiths camp to think that that's going to come from uh, one of those two individuals currently. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're still waiting for help. And now you've got some kids on campus that I think can help in this class, but they need a, a year of transition uh, as far as a weight room and, and physical structure to really contribute. Uh, the name you said there, let me take Johnson out of the equation. Of the other transfers in general, who do you think is the most likely to have an impactful breakout season? Of all the transfers you said? With the exception of Johnson. Oh, with the exception. Okay, we're, we're, we're removing him. Okay, I want to make sure I don't miss anybody here. Um, as far as actual breakouts, I think it has... Well, let's define breakout for, for McKenzie. Is it getting back to what he was at UCF? Because that ain't happening, I don't think. Yeah. Or is it... like what, what is it? I would say... So, like, obviously not McClellan. DJ Williams, I don't really think so. Thomas has got to be able to get healthy. I think they think Jamie Robinson is a good player. I'll say Parchment, I think, has the most upside of the transfers, most likely. So I'll, I'll go ahead and say Parchment. I, I think he could be a receiver one for you. Yeah. He certainly has the most position favorability as far as a, a lack of competition. <laughs> yeah. A place that they put him. Yeah. I mean, you may be f- more familiar with Thomas's health. Uh, that is a guy who I had in the back of my mind, just from a, from a lay, from a Florida state fan that, uh, you know, doesn't listen to podcasts like these, doesn't necessarily spend, you know, 30 minutes a day on a message board or whatever else, but just a, Hey, who's this guy? Where'd he come from? Uh, I think Thomas if healthy is, has the ability to make as many flash plays, uh, as anybody that Florida state brought in on the defense side of the ball anyways. And, and again, that's, I'm not necessarily putting uh, Johnson in that equation, but I, I think Thomas, if he gets healthy, uh, has the ability to do some things where it's a, Hey, who's that guy? Where'd he come from? It's been a while since we've seen somebody at the defensive, you know, the interior defensive line, the throw a, throw a, a blocker off like that and make a play a yard and a half in the backfield. That, that I agree with for sure. So I, I think to recap, we think receiver, Thanks for letting us totally redefine your question, Nick. Uh, Receiver, DB, 
followed probably by by edge rusher since there are some bodies there. Maybe that involves one of your true freshmen stepping up. I will say, did did you catch the the weigh in number on George Wilson? I did not. No, uh, one eighty nine. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I will be extra forgiving this year in a COVID year where a lot of guys did not have access to proper nutrition. A lot of a lot of families out there really struggled. I'm not saying his did. I don't know, but I do know like across the country that's been a thing with you know a lot of these guys who during the pandemic didn't really have access to, to a lot of workout equipment and whatnot. And that's kind of scary and suggests he's not somebody who's going to going to contribute a whole lot in year one. The other kid you signed certainly could. I, I think DN has more breakout potential than maybe some other spots, especially if you count Thomas there. 189. Interesting. I did not realize that from the, uh, from the old Bob Beach product there. Yeah, that's uh, got some got a ways to go in that regard. Uh, okay, Derek has a question. Derek says he's recently purchased my tickets for the Notre Dame game. I'm fully expecting a sold-out crowd uh, to kick off the 2021 season. With all that being said, should the Nolcast faithful be expecting an appearance from you two at Madso Township come Labor Day weekend? Seems like having an adult beverage with our favorite Florida State podcast host is really the only surefire way to get the season started on the right foot. Hope all is well, and we look forward to seeing you both again soon. So, Derek, I uh, certainly appreciate that. I will tell you that I enjoy every podcast I do. I've been fortunate to work with Bud for 10 or 11 years. He's, he's become one of my better friends. Um, but my favorite associations and memories of this podcast are some of the events that we've done and the ability to get to meet you guys, the listeners, and, um, and hang out. Now, I'll be honest with you. Doing something, we'll, we'll probably do something. And we were going to do something really pretty significant for the spring game. And I'd been working with Matt for a while, but we were going to, you know, put some barbecue out and all sorts of other stuff. And that obviously got washed. The challenge with doing something for like a Notre Dame game is that Matso's already going to be packed. It's already going to be like, you know, full to the gills. So it's kind of challenging to do a uh, promotion or anything else like that when you're already just having uh, chaos around, but we'll, uh, we'll certainly do something. And, uh, I am exceptionally excited to be able to get back down. I'll be there as well. I'll be there. Yeah. Like, but it, it may not be formal, you know, because it, it just, it is crazy packed already. Like I, I'd rather support Matt and those guys by doing something for a different game, you know, like maybe a game second half of the year, maybe a game that is not quite as as big maybe a game where like Matso is pretty much packed every single game day no matter what but you know maybe more of a Friday evening thing when people get in town if we know the next day is a noon game or something like that because most people aren't going to day trip that uh, or maybe we pick a game that is I don't, not like an FCS game I don't want to go to one that we think a lot of people are going to skip but like let's find kind of a middle of the road game to do it this year well, maybe we'll do it for Louisville or something like that. That could uh, be. We'll, yeah. uh, and like Bud said, we'll both be there. Uh, I, I look forward to seeing y'all. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. It's just when you know you're going to have a crowded place that uh, you know, you're know you doing everything you can to try to get people drinks and, and happy on time, then doing an event with a podcast isn't necessarily the most uh, appealing thing. And uh, you know, we always have to do what's what's fair to the – to the people that make this podcast possible. So uh, let's see. Do we have anything else, bud? I think that's pretty much it at this point. Um, we hit the Marvin Jones stuff. We we hit the Quayshon Sapp stuff. 
look at through, see if, any, if we have any other questions. Uh, Josh, we do have your question logged. And uh, due to the fact that it is nine paragraphs and our response is probably like 25 minutes, we're going to drop that one uh, on or around July 4th weekend because I know I'm taking the whole week off. And uh, I think Ingram's going to be out as well. So we're going to pre record an episode or two to drop during that week. And uh, we, we may jump back on if there's a whole lot of commitments, obviously, but I'm not expecting to have a ton that week, at least as of right now. So we'll, we'll see. But Josh, we did see your question. I know we mentioned in the prior episode, we're going to probably turn that into its own episode. But uh, if you're listening to this, and I know you listen to pretty much everything, so we very much appreciate your support. Uh, we are going to go ahead and drop that, I think, July 4th weekend. Good stuff, man. Enjoyed it as always. Uh, happy to be able to get back into a little bit of a pattern here and enjoy the fact that we're kind of doing a main podcast and every week or every third week, kind of a supportive second podcast if uh, if our cup otherwise runs over in June here. Crazy, uh, you know, recruiting calendar that we're uh, in right now. And uh, But I don't mean to drag us on anymore. One thing I did want to ask you, and I thought about this last night when I was walking around my neighborhood, are all the officials in June? Is this is this a byproduct of last year? Is this a byproduct of kids taking officials because they want to get them in before their senior season, and they know that the early signing day has kind of changed this? Uh, what do you think? Uh, is this something we're going to see moving forward, or what do you think your opinion of the June and July official visits are? It's a good question. So we were we've had like spring official visits before. This is a reaction. Uh, to COVID, right? Like allowing kids to take officials uh, over the summer more. Typically, we were not having officials, if I recall, at least not and not in this number, uh, anywhere near this number during camp season. So this is kind of a compressed thing. I, I do not think, for the most part, that schools want kids coming on officials during camp season. They're fine with doing it in spring ball, you know, April, May, March. Uh, and they're certainly fine doing it in the season or after the season. This is kind of a pain to do it. Like if you talk to guys working for schools right now, and you know, it's hard to feel bad for some of these coaches who were making you know, over a million bucks, even as assistants. And because uh, look, it's your job, right? I mean, if, if if I'm hiring for a position, guess what? I probably don't need you to work forty hours a week in the off season that much. During the season, you're going to work like seventy hours a week for me. Probably because that's just how we run. Like, like this, it, it's it's like farming. When it's time to harvest, you're working until it's done. Uh, this is kind of go time now for these coaches in a way that it normally wouldn't be quite so much. And FSU's guys are working incredibly hard right now because they are hosting so many different camps, trying to get so many kids on campus, really get their word out. You know, hosting camps for a couple high schools, things like that. I don't know, man. This is going to be interesting to see if kids do in the future look to take all these June official visits. I'm I'm not totally convinced that they will in in the same amount. Well, just something something I've thought about, wanted to ask you, and didn't mean to uh, throw something near there as we we're in the middle of sign off, but uh, wanted to ask you, and glad we were able to get an answer. So for real this time, we'll wrap up the podcast. Certainly appreciate uh, the listenership. Hope you guys have a uh, uh, great weekend, and uh, we'll be back next week to uh, do it all over again. For Bud, for myself, and the team that makes the Nolcast possible, uh, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. See you, bud.
This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. Thank you.